going to continue today a series of messages we started two weeks ago. Had a little break last week while Sue and I were away, but we're picking it up again today, and it's titled, How to Alter Your Life. And yes, I know that uh, in this situation, you would expect to see the word, the word alter spelt A-L-T-E-R. Um, I've misspelt it, so to speak, A-L-T-A-R, because it's a play on words. We're looking at six occasions in the Old Testament where people had significant life change. That's what alter, A-L-T-E-R, means change. Where people had significant life change at an A-L-T-A-R, an altar. An altar is a place where people meet God, where worship is offered, where sacrifice is made, where sin is confessed. That's what an altar is. And we're looking at, as I said, six times in the Old Testament. There are others, but we're going to look at six times when people had their lives altered at an altar. Make sense? Yeah. Oh, good. Because otherwise we're <laughs> not going to get too far. <clears throat> now, uh, today we're going to be dealing with um, a word we don't like, <clears throat> excuse me, the word accountability, the A word. Most of us would just assume uh, that this word was removed from the dictionary. But it is such an important um, part of how God brings the changes to our lives that we need. And I don't know about you, but I got up this morning with stuff that needs to be changed in my life. Now, God has done so much over the years of my walk with him, and I am not anything close to the guy that I once was. Thank God. But I got a long way to go, too. And I need his help. I need more than his help. I need his grace to bring about the changes that my life needs. But he, one of the things that he uses to accomplish that is accountability. We cannot skip this. Last time we were together on this subject, we were talking about we were talking about confession, and confession's partner is accountability. So you're ready to go and tackle this one with me this morning. Yes. How about the rest of you? Okay, here we go. Gideon, excuse me, Gideon is the guy we're going to be introduced to here in the sixth chapter of Judges, beginning at verse 11. Let's read there. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. There's an awful lot in that one verse that I just need to bring you up to speed on as background for what we're going to talk about this morning. So bear with me for just a minute. When you see that term in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, most of the time, it's a reference to a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Godhead. And that's a whole lot of theological talk that I need to parse out. When I say pre-incarnate, I mean before Jesus, the Son of God, became human flesh and walked among us. Before then, there were visitations of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, that um, I'm not sure we could call them fleshly encounters, but they were encounters where people were able to communicate with God in a, in a fashion that approached incarnation and this is one of those times this is God visiting Gideon and Gideon is down in a what, what's described as a wine press threshing wheat 
Now you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. A wine press is something dug down into either rock or soil as a place to collect the fruit of the, ju of the grapes that are being crushed at the end of harvest. We're in wine country, we're familiar with the, the, the crush. And when that happens, what's going on is that grapes are actually being crushed. The juice is flowing somewhere. A wine press or wine vat is where that would take place. So it's, it's something that's, that you go down into. A threshing floor, on the other hand, is a raised platform because threshing wheat involves separating the chaff from the grains of wheat that are what you you're after and you want to use the wind uh, to help you do that separation. So you want it elevated. But Gideon can't do that because he and his people are enslaved to a group of folks called the Midianites who were extremely oppressive um, slaveholders. And if they find out that Gideon has any wheat, they're going to take it from him. So he's down in this hole hiding the fact that he has a little bit of wheat and he's trying to thresh it out. You get the picture? He's hiding. He's afraid. Because the Israelites are slaves. Now that word slave, you know right off the bat, that's not a good thing. How do the people of Israel become slaves? Because they turned their back on God. Now notice something here. We're told that there's Gideon. He's the guy threshing wheat in the hole. We're told his father's name is Joash. We're, said, we're told that, his, that Joash is part of a family called the Abiezrites. And we're, and we're not told here, but I can tell you this from other passages of Scripture, that the Abiezrites were part of a tribe in Israel called Manasseh. So there's 12 tribes of Israel. The Israelites, the Jewish people, are broken up into these 12 major family groups and then there's lineages that come down from that. So you have Manasseh, Abiezrites, Joash, Gideon. You with me? Now when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and you, some of you would be familiar with this, and they went, through the pro they went through the wilderness to the promised land. When they got to the promised land and began to occupy this place of their destiny, God said some very specific things to them. He said, don't make compromises with the Canaanites, the people who live currently in that land. He said, if you do their idolatry and worship of false gods will pollute you. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Tear down the altar. He, he was very specific. Tear down the altars of Baal. That was the primary false god that the Canaanites worshipped. And he said very specifically, cut down the Asherah poles. That was another uh, goddess that the Canaanites worshipped. So you had this mother-father god kind of thing that the Canaanites worshipped. Baal and Asherah. Baal was worshipped in very perverse ways probably the worst of which was the sacrifice, the human sacrifice. The sacrifice of babies to God. The false god, Baal. Asherah was a fertility goddess and, and worshipped um, in a lot of ways, but uh, primarily uh, in sexual perversion. So you have these two gods. God says, tear down the altar of Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole and don't have any, con uh, any um, compromise with the Canaanites. Kick them out. 
So now we're generations later from those commands of God. Generations the people of Israel have lived in the land of promise. But guess what? They didn't do what God said. And the compromises that they have made over generations with the world around them have caused the people of God to become worshipers of Baal and Asherah. We are specifically told at the beginning of this book of Judges that Manasseh, remember the, the, the tribe of Israel? We're specifically told that Manasseh did not uh, do what God said about the Canaanites but compromised with them. So then you come down to Abiezer, come down to Joash, you come down to Gideon and you have now this scene where God has had to allow his people to become slaves to the Midianites to try to get their attention. And you think to yourself, well, how in the world could this happen? And you don't have to look very far to figure that out. Look right here. And I'll look right there. Because we all know what it's like to make compromises with the culture that we live in. And it never works out well. And the more we do that, the more we find ourselves drifting towards the culture and the gods of this world than the other way around. And that's where they are. That's where they're at. So verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. He goes on and Gideon says in verse 13, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? He's not even in touch with why they're enslaved. He says, Lord, if you are really with us, why are we living like this? And where are all your miracles, which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, they say, but now the Lord has forgotten us or forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. The Lord says this in verse 14, Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. We won't read it, but many of you would know the story that actually Gideon goes on with 300 men, just 300, against the Midianite forces that the Bible says couldn't be numbered, and wipes their fannies. Oh, excuse me. I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> takes them out. So he does fulfill his destiny. What I want you to see right now, though, is that he was a person of destiny. He didn't know it, and he wasn't living like it. He's down in a hole threshing wheat, and maybe that's what your life feels like a lot of the times. Down in a hole threshing wheat, trying to eke out an, ex an existence. But the same thing is true for you as was true for Gideon, you are a person of destiny. Don't, don't write that off. Don't turn me off right now. 
you and I, according to the word of God, are his creation, his unique creation, his poema. You are his, you're a person of destiny. And the fact that you might not be living like it right now doesn't change that fact. If there is a disconnect between what God's plans and purposes for your life are and what you are experiencing, guess where the problem is? With me, with you, not him. He has a destiny for you. We need to figure out how we close this gap. How we get from, from threshing wheat in a hole to leading the armies of triumph over uh, the slave enslavements that people experience. God has a plan for us. We are people of destiny. But there's something in the way. There's a thing that separates those two realities. And it's called sin. Now, <clears throat> I want to, I need to make some, uh, I need to explain something. Sin gets in our way, all right? But I'm not talking about the sin that separated you from God. Because if you are a follower of Christ, if you've crossed from doubt into faith and given your life to Jesus and received his forgiveness, you are forgiven. Sin has been taken out of the way. Sin in terms of that thing that separates you, your rebellion against God, the thing that separates you from God, that has been dealt with at the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. Hallelujah. But on the other side of the cross, on the other side of my uh, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, I still sin. I don't know about you, but I, I still sin. I'm forgiven, and sin is no longer separating me from God, but it's still in my way of fulfilling God's destined purposes for my life. I still need that junk dealt with. And the process of that junk being dealt with is called sanctification. It's, the, it's God working in my life day after day after day, ridding me of the stuff that's still keeping me from my destiny. But let's, let's acknowledge that there is some stuff in the way. And a lot of times that stuff seems like it's just intractable. I can't get past it. Have you noticed this thing I, I, I like to call the broken record syndrome? Where, well, most of you don't know what a record is. Although, you know what? Yesterday I heard on the news that Sony Records is building a plant in, in Japan to produce vinyl records again. Yes. Come on, yeah. <laughs> anyway, there, the way that, believe it or not, it's like the Stone Age, but you, we had a little needle that would go in grooves that, around this, this vinyl platter, and the, the up and down motion of the, those little bumps in the grooves would make sounds, and that's how we listen to music in, in the prehistoric age. But... <laughs> If the vinyl got scratched someplace, which was easy to do, the needle, when it hit that point, would just stay in the same groove often. So you just go round and round and round the same phrase of the song over and over. There's things in our lives that are like that. We just keep going. You know, places that, we, in our, the way we think about things, that just can't, we can't seem to change this pattern of thought. Behaviors, habits, 
And we try, and we try, and we pray, and we pray, and we just keep coming around to that thing over and over. And it's so discouraging. It's in the way of me living the life of destiny that God wants to bring me into. It's in the way. So when I'm talking about sin this morning, that's what I'm talking about because sin in this context is anything that's out of sync with God's will for me. God's not, God, God's will is not for me to be in the broken record syndrome. So that's sin. I need that dealt with. Now one of the things that um, I need to have you look at with me begins in, in um, verse 25 as Gideon begins to receive some instructions from the Lord about how to deal with what's in the way of where he is now and where God wants to take him. Now it came to pass that the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, the fact that uh, Joash would have a bull would have been quite surprising. The Midianites would have taken it if they knowed he had it. So this is, this is a valuable uh, thing. And in the middle of that verse it says, And now take this bull and use it to tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. What? Are you kidding me? Gideon's dad? has an altar of Baal. He is the local priest of the Baal church. <laughs> Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that means the Asherah pole that is beside it. Remember God said specifically don't do this. And now Gideon's dad. And to think that Gideon hasn't been impacted by that is lunacy. Gideon has grown up in a home where Baal and Asherah were worshipped. He is marked by that. He might not have been aware and certainly wasn't. didn't sound like it when he was first responding to, to the angel of the Lord. He sounded like he didn't have a clue as to why they were enslaved to the Midianites. Just like you and I can't figure out why in the world I just keep going back and f to the same place over and over. Why am I stuck in this broken record cycle? We don't realize there's more to it. Sin is communal. Now, two weeks ago when we talked about confession, I told you that there is no private sin. When I disobey God, I'm, I'm not the only one impacted by that. Other people always are. There is no private sin. There, on the other hand, sin is never uh, just me. There are things that contribute to my sinful behaviors that are beyond me. They are rooted in other places. It doesn't excuse me. Bad news is it doesn't excuse you either. But our sin, our brokenness is rooted in other places. Often in family heritage.
If you struggle with alcohol or some other form of addiction, let me just tell you, there's roots to that. And you can try all you want. You can exercise all of the uh, you know, personal and self-discipline that you want, but the likelihood of you being freed from that without addressing the root system is pretty slim. There's a root system that supports that behavior in your life. Now, I've told this story before, so bear with me. I'm going to tell it again, but I, one day, not, not too long ago, was, but it's been probably a couple of years at least, I was sitting in my, my little couch where I have my prayer times in the morning, and I was praying a lot. You know, one of the things I pray often is, God, help me to watch, listen, trust, and obey. Those are things that mean something to me. And when I pray them to the Lord, I know what I'm talking about, and I think he does too. I want to watch, listen, trust, and obey. And I got to the third of those things. I want to watch, listen, trust, and the Lord stopped me. I don't know how to explain how he did that, but I just knew he was saying, hold on. You don't trust me. God, how could you say that? I'm a, I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm a pastor. I trust you. I tithe. I trust you with my money. And the Lord said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't trust me. And at first, it was the hardest. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't imagine what he was getting at. So I just sat there for a while and let him talk to me. And when I say talk to me, I wasn't hearing voices, but I was... I was getting the point. I don't know how he does this, but he does. And I knew that the Lord was saying, to, he was bringing to my mind pictures of things in my past where I had, um, I, I just was so fearful about things. I couldn't, you know, I was always anxious and worried about things and always trying to plan ahead and and can, you can never get far enough ahead once you start down that road. And it was eating me up inside. And all of a sudden I understood, okay, yeah, 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 you're right, God. I guess I don't really trust you. If I trusted you, I wouldn't be afraid. And then the Lord started to help me see where that fear was rooted. He started taking me back to traumatic experiences I had as a child in my uh, home life and some things beyond that some challenging things that didn't go the way that I thought they should where I thought God had failed me and I developed this kind of undercurrent of not being able to trust him that was killing me in the present fear is an awful thing it eats away at you anxiety and, and stress it, it tears you up and it was tearing me up and God was trying to save me from it and release me into more of my destiny. But th th I had to go back to the root system. Look, it's like, it's like an enemy. It's like, you know, some of this stuff that you have going on in your little, um, you know, broken record syndromes. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. What's going on there? It's like an enemy after you, doing battle against you. And in warfare, if you only focus your attention on confronting the enemy in the battlefield, you never win the war. 
you have to also go after the supply lines and the factories where they make their tanks. You have to wipe out the, the root system that feeds the, the army. And if this stuff is ever going to get wiped out in our lives and we get free of them to pursue our destiny, it, it will be because we stopped whacking off the weed at the soil level. It'll just grow back. And let the Lord take us to where it's rooted. And often it is in family history. Again, that doesn't excuse me. It doesn't excuse you. Your parents might be in this room. So, okay, it's, it's, <laughs> this is not about that. But we have to let the Lord help us to get free from this stuff. You get the point, right? Right? Okay. Sin is communal. And God said to uh, Gideon, I want you to cut down this wooden image and tear down this Baal altar. In verse 26, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. One more verse, 27. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord said to him. Let's don't skip this. If sin is communal, we need a new community. If our sin and my brokenness is rooted, it has a root system to it, and God goes after that root system and digs it up, burns it up, tears it down, I need a new root system. I need a new community. And that's what Gideon does. He goes, finds ten guys and says, hey, will you stand with me as I address this, the roots of this idolatry in my life that come from my family lineage. Will you stand with me? This is accountability. And we don't like this. But if you want to move on from the broken record, find some people. It doesn't have to be ten. And I don't, I don't uh, um, encourage you to go out on the street and find the first three people you meet and bear your soul to them. That's not going to work either. You've got to have some people that you know you can trust. Now, I happen to be able to have as the primary accountability partner in my life, my wife. Now, that can't always, it isn't always true for people and I'm sorry if it's not for you. I think God can fix that. But I am grateful that I don't have to hide a thing from her and she knows me like a book from inside and out. And that day, when the Lord started to confront me about my lack of faith in him, the first person I talked to was her. I said, honey, this is, what, this is what's going on with me. Now, I also have the advantage of every week being able to bear my dirty laundry in front of all of you, too. And that's really, really helpful. However you deal with it, get some people in your life that you are that honest with because it's going to take it's going to take some accountability to get these things broken and he, the, the things that are broken healed. Last thing I want to say is it, uh, Gideon was told to build an altar. Take the debris from all this junk that you're, you're, you're tearing down and burn it up, he says. Burn it up. And now the site of this horrible 
junk in your life is going to become a place where I am honored. And the reason I'm pointing you to this is because he says to do this on this rock, and we don't know exactly what rock he's talking about. There's not any coordinates given. It might be the rock that um, is mentioned earlier in the chapter where he, where Gideon uh, brought, uh, offered a sacrifice to the, the angel of the Lord. I don't know, but I know this. I know in the original Hebrew that this word rock is translated from the word is stronghold. If you got some stuff where the enemy has a strong hold on you, God wants to turn that site into an altar where he is honored and you are freed. This is recording number 11267 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 9, 2017. This is the second message in a series titled, How to Alter Your Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Accountability.